Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everybody, welcome into it. This is the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. I hear at VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. If you're watching, thanks so much. Please like this video, subscribe to the channel, and fill out those comment sections. We will take your questions throughout the next hour from 8 until 9 right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Uh, Brent Hubbs joining me here today. I'm Eric Kane. We're gonna we have a full fledged to get into today. We're gonna discuss a lot of different things. Grant Ramey will come on at about eight fifteen and talk Tennessee basketball. We will dissect Tennessee baseball and the situation with Tony Vitello around eight thirty, and then we will have Matt Ray coming on at eight forty three uh, to break down a little bit of the Under Armour camp from Atlanta earlier today and some top Tennessee targets in action. So a whole lot to get into. But Brent, I thought we'd start off talking a little bit of football. It's just a couple of day, a couple of weeks away, really, until Tennessee takes the field for spring practice and trying to get geared up for the 2023 season. And earlier today, you posted on the front page of VolQuest.com, three big questions on the offensive side of the football for Tennessee this spring. And, and what are some of those that uh, Tennessee needs to find answers to this spring? Well, obviously, there's a lot of questions and, and there's a lot of answers, too. I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of where Tennessee is right now is uh, that they've developed some depth and they've got some answers in some spots. And then there are certain positions, Eric, I just don't think I'm going to worry about while Josh Heupel's the head coach at Tennessee and, and receiver being one of those. Uh, but I think when you talk about the three questions, you got to start at the right tackle spot and, and where are they going to be at right tackle? Um, and, and that's the, that's the biggest question. And you look at uh, what they're losing in Darnell Wright, whose stock continues to, to go up. Um, he's at the NFL Combine this week, so we'll see. I think it's a great opportunity for him to further increase his stock by showing his athleticism. The one thing you're starting to hear more and more when you talk about Darnell Wright is just um, the durability, the number of snaps that he has played. When you look at what he's done the, the last couple of years, um, it, it's an, an incredible number of snaps, uh, Eric. I mean, it, 1500 or something like that is the snaps that he's played at in, in the last two seasons at Tennessee. And, and I think that's something that everybody is looking at and, and everybody is taking note of with him is, is that durability. Um, so wh where's the answer for, for that? Wh where does Tennessee find? They're not going to replace. I don't think they have anybody on the roster that has his talent, but who has the durability who can anchor the left or the right side? Can JJ Crawford flip over if need be? Is it going to be Dane Davis? You know, how, how does that work? Where does Larry Johnson factor into the equation? Um, you, you know, Ger Gerald Mincy is a left tackle all the way. They've got to find – they piecemealed it on the left side with two guys last year, and I don't think they were great. I think they were okay uh, in both Mincy and Crawford. Uh, they were great on the right side and never had to worry about it. Where do they find that answer on the right side? So that was question number one. Question number two for me remains the tight ends. You and I have talked about this numerous times. I think it's the most undervalued position in this offense because everybody talks about the 20-yard receptions, the 30-yard receptions, the 60-yard receptions to, to the receivers. And we'll talk a lot about what the tight ends do and, and how the tight ends create some of those mismatches for the receivers by the way Tennessee uses them in motion and formations and can keep them on the field at all times. They got Jacob Warren. They got, um, they got the, 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 the Castles kid. Um, and, and then what do you have? And they've been fortunate, Eric. They were really fortunate last year, in my opinion, that Princeton Fan, who, who has never really shown a lot of durability, he'd been banged up most of his career, played a ton of snaps. They got through the year last year with Jacob Warren not being banged up. That, that's that, that's a blessing there. So can they get through this year at the tight end spot with two, or can a third tight end emerge? Who would that third tight end be? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not – I'm not – out of the realm of thinking they could even look in the portal if somebody pops up there. I just, they've been very fortunate the last couple of years not to have major injury at that position, Eric, that that's a concern because they don't have enough depth there. So those are two of the questions. The third one, who's, who's going to lead on this football team, right? We, we knew who, the, we knew who the leader was last year, whose team it was last year, who's hitting hookers, whose team is it this year? It's supposed to be, supposed to be Joe Milton's, 
will it be Joe Milton's? Does he have those abilities? Nobody had any question about who the leader of the football team and the offense was a year ago, and that's Hendon Hooker. That's a lot of leadership to replace. Yeah, I think two of the questions um, you're going to kind of have to feel it out all the way up until kickoff. Maybe I mean, in terms of leadership, I feel like leaders leaders are made in, in the winter. Uh, your team is split into like four or five different groups in terms of workouts, and you come together a couple days a week for uh, team organized activities and conditioning sessions and stuff like that. But when you're in those individual workout groups, I mean, you, you know that that is a great opportunity for some guys who have a you know, maybe have been kind of sitting on the sidelines in terms of leadership, maybe, you know, figuratively and, and literally on the football field, but to step up and kind of be that leader in that workout group and then seeing if it translates over to the team organized stuff and then ultimately onto the practice field, you know, it come come a, a month from now. So I think in terms of leadership, that's something that's going to be evolving, but no doubt about it, you need it to be your quarterback and you need it to be Joe Milton. Uh, as far as the tight ends, I think that's just kind of, it is what it is, right? You have Jacob Warren. You've got to, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. McAllen Castles, he is going to have to play. Um, he's going to have to adapt. He's going to have to understand this offense. And even if he doesn't, Tennessee's going to have to play him because you've got to have two tight ends and, and preferably even more than that to operate efficiently in this offense. And then I want to bring up the tackles here, uh, like you mentioned. Darnell Wright was so good for Tennessee the last two years. But, I mean, really his four years here, he's been he's been an every-down guy. I think it's unfair, and I know you're not saying this, but I think it's unfair to say, all right, John Campbell, you're the new Darnell Mincy. Go out there, or you're the new Darnell Wright. Go out there and play, right, and, and play yeah. to his level. I mean, that's that's an all-SEC type guy, maybe a first-rounder. But what Tennessee does need is stability and durability because that's what Darnell Wright was. Worst-case scenario, you can maybe patchwork one of those tackles, but you, you don't want to patchwork any of them. You've got to have a guy that can go over there and play 70, 75 snaps a game and play at a high level. And it's good that you do have a guy in John Campbell who's played an awful lot throughout his career and has experience, but uh, he, just like Gerald Mincy last year and McAllen Castle's coming in this year at the tight end position, you got to learn everything. You've got to be able to operate efficiently in the offense, and it's much more than just moving the guy in front of you. Yeah, and for both of those guys, the first thing that's going to happen to them come March 20th when practice starts, they think they know how fast it is from a tempo standpoint, but they don't. So, they're, I mean, the first thing they're going to have to catch up to is how fast you have to play from from snap to snap. Not, I'm not talking about once the ball snapped how fast you have to play. I'm talking about from one snap to the next snap, and, and, and you'll have to adjust to that. So that'll be a learning curve for them. But both those guys are, are going to have to play. I mean – uh, Castles has to play. There's there's no other option there for him. Uh, at, at tackle, maybe that somebody emerges other than Campbell. There's some depth there. But, you know, look, Tennessee should be to the point with their roster that when they go to the transfer portal, they're going to get an impact player, not a roster developer, a roster numbers guy, a roster building guy. Those two guys may be two of the most impactful transfers Tennessee has. I know everybody's talking about the, tie, the, the linebacker from BYU. Um, you know, and they're, they're talking about the, the defensive linemen. But when you look at the transfers, the, the the two transfers to me that have to make the biggest impact for Tennessee, um, even beyond Thornton, the wide receiver from, from Morgan, it, it's Castles and it's Campbell because those guys have to step in and fill voids. You know, it's funny. I did an exercise uh, one day last week and kind of had a ranking Tennessee's eight transfer portal additions and level of importance. And, you know, John Campbell was number one on my book. Uh, McAllen Castles is up there as well. If I were to say who would be the third most important for you, would it be Gabe Judy Lolly, the cornerback, because Tennessee needs to get better and needs to have you know sustained play at the cornerback position? Would it be Keenan Peely? Because you lose two veterans and one very, very impactful player at linebacker. Um, does Is it Keenan Peely to pair with, with Aaron Beasley? Could it be a Charles Campbell who is going to be competing for that kicker job? And I know no one likes to talk kickers here, but Tennessee was really fortunate to have a kicker that was really solid the past two seasons and, you know, never gets the praise you deserve, always gets the grunts when you miss a field goal. You know, who might be that third most important transfer outside of the two we've already brought up in John Campbell and McAllen Castles? Well, I mean, in terms of importance, I, I think you I think you put the kicker up there. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, um, I do think Thornton is important. 
I do think they could work around Thornton um, and, and could probably survive without him. But I, but I think Thornton can change. You know, I think he can be that big play guy that 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 this offense desperately needs. I think he's better than Peyton. I, you know, I'm not saying he's uh, Jalen Hyatt, but but I would you know I think he's up there pretty high. You know, Peely is a guy who's um, just that veteran leadership. I think is important there for for them, but for for him, but. I like the depth they have there. I, I think that I I think they have um, quality bodies. Now they're young; they're going to be forced to play young guys. But I think they have some quality bodies there. Um, I might go with the kicker. I might go with the kicker as the third most in, in, important player. Now I don't think that, I think the biggest impact guy in terms of numbers and production is going to be Thornton. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's going to be it. But could this offense score points without him? Yes. I don't think they can score as many points or be as explosive without him, but I, but I do think this system would allow them to be successful without him. Uh, but but he will be the guy that I think a lot of people talk about. But he may not be the most important guy. To, to me, and I get where you're at with Campbell. To me, the most important guy is Cassis, because you can't play with one tight end. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they have the answer without John Campbell at tackle, but at least there's some bodies there to pick from. They don't, they don't have many bodies at the tight end spot outside of Castles and, and Jacob Horn. No offense to those walk-ons, but they just haven't been factors. It's hard to all of a sudden think that they're going to be a factor. So, for, for me, Castles is the number one impact guy. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree. Um, and I get your point on Campbell. I get your point on Campbell. I don't, I don't think you're wrong on Campbell. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's 1A, 1B. I think it's a toss-up tight end. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. But for me, and seeing the impact of the tight end in this offense, um, that that's what – that's what jumps out to me. Especially, too, when you consider, you know, to this point, you know, Gerald Mincy's only been a left-side player, as you pointed out in your piece here. Um, if he can't play right side, if he's just not comfortable, um, you know, that limits yourself just to two guys, and, of course, that being John Campbell and then J.J. Crawford, who has seen some time on the right side. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Um, Wayne Starn says, listening and watching from Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, we got a London, England, SD Vol. Appreciate that. Uh, Afton, Virginia from Gapster. Appreciate all you guys watching and tuning in and commenting uh, here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Go back to the Thornton remarks here. And, of course, if you want a, an in-depth piece of this, you go to VolQuest.com. Brent has one on the offensive side. Biggest questions entering spring. I think you'll have one on defense coming up in the next day or two. When you look at the wide receivers, too, and I, I agree, I think Dante Thornton's going to be good in this offense. I've said it time in and time out. I think he's long, explosive, everything you want, and an outside receiver who also can play slot because, you know, that's something I talked about in my wide receiver piece earlier this week. You got Squirrel White, you don't have much depth at the slot position. You know, guys that could play slot, like a Walker Merrill, a Jimmy Callaway, they're gone, transfer portal. Jalen Hyatt's gone, transfer portal. So a guy that can play slot if you need it as well. So that you like the versatility there, but also to your point, you know, Tennessee can get by and Tennessee can make do because, you know, last year, Tennessee was the number one offense in the country, number one scoring offense, number one total offense, and it had Cedric Tillman for only six games, albeit you had a really good guy in Jalen Hyatt. Will Tennessee have someone of that level of production next year? Probably not. I mean, odds are that's not going to happen, but Tennessee can make do if one of those receivers go down. Whereas at tight end, you need two, and of course, at offensive tackle, you got to have somebody block. Yeah, no doubt. And and here's the thing about the the springtime. Um, I mentioned this in the war room. Thornton's got a little bit of a little bit of a leg pull. They're going to be very careful with him. I think he'll be ready for spring. I don't think it's going to be anything that they shut him down for spring or anything like that. But but this spring is going to be a big opportunity spring. Um, Nathan Laycock's made a lot of noise. Obviously, he looks good. We'll see how far, how much of the offense he's learned. But for a guy like Chaz Nimrod, for Caleb Webb, you don't want to say now or never, Eric. That's not fair at this point. They're going through their second spring, some cases, some of them the first spring. Um, they've been through one season of football. But in the world in, the, in which we live in with the transfer portal, you, you do feel like that that second year is kind of the year for a lot of guys. Uh, and so where do those guys go? You know, what, what do they look like? How, how are they? You know, with Brew McCoy not going through spring, that's an opportunity that's going to be out there for those guys. Who capitalizes on that opportunity? A guy who capitalized a year ago was Ramel Keaton. And I don't just mean in the game. I mean, give Ramel Keaton credit. He took opportunities in, in spring 
when, when he had them. Then you look at fall camp, Brew McCoy's on the shelf, right? You got all that going on. Is he eligible? Is he not eligible? Ramel Keaton got a bunch of fall camp reps, bunch of fall camp reps. They were protecting Cedric Tillman. They weren't going to wear him out. So Keaton got a bunch of work, and you saw the product of that. He took full advantage of it. Who takes advantage of that opportunity this spring at the receiver spot to, to challenge there? Are they just going to assume, okay, Thornton's here. He's, he's taking one of the spots. Are one of those guys going to rally up and, and compete and see how they compete? That That's a good storyline outside of those big three questions. Which of those young receivers emerges? What does that young receiver core look like coming out of spring practice? Yep, a lot of questions uh, we have about Tennessee football. Not as many as last year, which is good, and I think is um, a testament to how a program is being built You know, year after year under the same head coach. But still some questions. We'll have to find some answers to, or at least kind of get a better idea of as Tennessee enters spring practice here in just a couple of weeks. Brent Hubbs, questions about the offense. That's up at VolQuest.com right now. He'll have one on the defense coming up in the next day or two. Tennessee basketball got a much, much needed win Saturday against South Carolina. We are going to chat with Grant Ramey here in just a moment, right here on the Rockets Out Rewind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's the Rockies Out Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern Time on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe if you're watching. It helps us get this video out to more and more Tennessee fans. And, of course, you can always check us out over at VolQuest.com. Tennessee 85, South Carolina 45, a 40-point win for Tennessee basketball on the hardwood on Saturday. Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com, is joining us now to kind of break down just how important this game was for Tennessee. And I, I'll kind of start there before we get into percentages and what this could look like in terms of, you know, the ranking for tomorrow and seeds and all that with two games left to go. But, Grant, Tennessee just needed a win. How different was the post-game, you know, media availabilities, locker room settings, all that type of stuff, with Tennessee getting a win instead of just falling uh, in dramatic fashion the way they, the way they had the last couple of weeks? Very different. Uh, I think it's not only a win. I think it's how they won. I think it's uh, starting strong, playing well basically for 40 minutes, dominating opponents, playing well defensively, playing well offensively, scoring 85 points, getting a player back in, in Josiah Jordan-James, and uh, still being shorthanded without Julian Phillips and without Tyreek Key. A uh, pretty late scratch there that no one really saw coming. So I think to do that, you know, South Carolina's not great. Obviously, look at their record. Look what they've done all year. If they took Alabama to overtime, could say not. Still not sure how that happened, uh, but it did happen. Uh, so to handle them the way they did, uh, it's, it's not only big that they won and kind of cleanse the pout a little bit, but uh, it's how they won and kind of if they can kind of springboard that into something here in the final week of the regular season. You know, Grant, for me, I, I mean, and I, I'm, I don't want to be the negative Debbie Downer guy. Is, I mean, this team had to get this win, and they did play well. Maybe give them a shot in the arm. But, but you know, at this point, you kind of are who you are. I mean, what, can, can they really draw from – from yesterday to create any kind of consistency here going forward? Or is that just, hey, they shut the ball well at home, ball went in the basket early, South Carolina didn't put up a whole lot of fight in the second half, nice win. We'll see what we'll see what Arkansas looks like Tuesday night. I mean, when, when the word consistency comes up, for me, it's February 26th. If you're talking about consistency on February 26th, guess what? You're not consistent. Uh, and it's going to be just who shows up. Tuesday night against Arkansas, a really good Arkansas team. An Arkansas team is playing a lot better uh, the last few weeks than they played, you know, in January uh, when they went through a little bit of a rough stretch. And it's a 9 o'clock game. It's senior night. going to be a big crowd, obviously, having a home floor and all that stuff's going to help. But it just depends. You just never know what, what Tennessee team is going to show up. They 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 beat really good teams, Alabama, Kansas, Texas. You get out on the list. They've lost to some very mediocre teams, Vanderbilt, uh, Missouri away from home is a pretty average team. So, uh, I think – Consistency comes up just about every game with this team, and, and Rick gets asked about it after games, and, and he keeps saying what they can do to be consistent. But the fact that we're sitting here talking about it on February 26th is, is you're not consistent. You're just waiting to see who shows up the next game. 
Yeah, Grant, Ben kind of leads me into my next question I have for you. Uh, he chimes in over here in the comment section. I never realized Triple J was the missing piece that made that big of a difference until I saw a 40-point win compared to the last three weeks. Now, is that completely fair? Is it just Josiah? I don't think it is, but how much did Josiah help? And obviously, this is a game that, you know, it's no secret, means a whole lot to him being from the state of South Carolina. It's a big deal uh, for him to come in, and, and not only just to come back, but, I mean, he hit a corner three 14 seconds after he checked in. He hit his first three shots, looked really comfortable from the start. Uh, as soon as he came back, there was no rust to knock off. So Josiah is not the reason they won by 40. He's a pretty big piece of the reason they won by 40. They also got some pretty good play in the post. So Kai Ziegler played well. Uh, you can go down the list. But Josiah is a guy that they need back and, and playing well. I mean, you can go back to LSU in late January when he scored 22 and, and he was the best player on the floor. He's the best player for Tennessee that day for sure. So he can be that guy that, that lifts this team and carries them a little bit. I don't think you expect that night in and night out. Um, but having him back is a big piece of it. And, and now you just kind of wait and see when Julian Phillips is going to come back and how long Tyree Key is going to be out. Because if you do get this team that's been shorthanded so much this season and so long uh, here in recent weeks, so many games here in recent weeks, that uh, you, you kind of forget what this team looks like fully loaded. Uh, but if they show up and they're not shorthanded and you get some impact like Josiah had against – um, South Carolina Saturday night, then, then it definitely changes this team. Grant, we were talking in the first segment about guys taking advantage of opportunities. And I was talking about it on the practice field with Ramel Keaton a year ago when Rue McCoy was not out there for the NCAA questions and they were being cautious with, with Cedric Tillman. Uh, Jamon Meshack's situation is different. He was thrusted into the lineup because of all of the injuries. Uh, and he has taken advantage of his opportunity just the way, the way Keaton did when he was put in the game against Florida and Alabama and other teams. Where is, where is Meshack with this team when all the components come back? And, and what does that look like? Does, do they manage Josiah's minutes differently with Meshack playing like he is right now? Or, or how do you think that goes with, with that situation now? you got to find a way to get Jemiah the minutes that he's had the last few weeks. And you, you certainly don't want to take Josiah off the floor if he's scoring. But at the same time, Josiah, sorry, Jemiah, what he does defensively and what he's shown he's capable of offensively here in the last, I don't know, week or so. Um, it's, uh, I, I told somebody the other night when we were watching that South Carolina game, it looks like Jemiah is the only guy, maybe except for Josiah a couple times in that game, where he's driving to the rim looking to score. Some of these guys, it looks like they're trying to play a game of how close can they get to the rim and kick it back out. To, to the three-point line. And, and Jemai's never going to be the offensive guy, first and foremost. He's always going to be one of the most elite perimeter defenders in the league in the sport. Um, but his offense and, and the aggression he's shown and the just the want to to kind of do something on that end of the floor when everybody else is passing it around and their shot clock violations and all the frustrations that, that come with this offense, you got to find a way to keep getting him his minutes because he's shown you too much the last couple of weeks when you've been shorthanded that you need him on the floor because he wants to do something. And with that kind of a follow-up, would that be as simple as, you know, maybe reducing a dues minutes a little bit to, to get Phillips back in there with, with Kumwa and leaving, you know, Mayshack is that three and then letting triple J come and sub him out. I mean, kind of, kind of how does that work with, with Julian in there to, to your estimation? I would go smaller because you just haven't seen consistent production from the bigs. And, and when you do see production there, you never know who you're going to get it from. One night it no. could be Tobey Walker. One night it could be Olivier. One night it could be Urosh uh, if he's hitting early shots like he did against South Carolina. Um, one night it could be Jonas like we've seen uh, sometimes this season. So I would play smaller because I think you're getting a better impact, more consistent production uh, from a Josiah or from a Jemai based on what we saw Saturday night. So, just from what we've seen from the bigs, I would take away their minutes and play smaller because I think this team's more athletic. They can switch one through five defensively. They're at their best, I think, when they're smaller. Uh, and right now, like I said, keep Jamal on the floor as much as you can because he's giving you something. Yeah, you know, I think that's something that probably gets overlooked with the injury with to, to Josiah and, and Julian. The inability to switch one through five, right? Because you can't get some of those matchups. This has been a great defensive team. We, we've all talked, or I've all I've talked a lot about their offensive shortcomings, but but defensively, that they take a step backwards when they're not able to go small and one through five with with their switching defense, right, Grant? They do, and and I think a big part of that is getting Julian back. I think I think the first step was getting Josiah back because he helps you a ton on that, and I think the next step is getting Julian back. I think Julian's numbers never jump off the charts offensively. Whatever he does 
everybody looks at the offensive numbers or rebounding stuff like that, but the, the ability to defend that he has and the versatility and the length and the athleticism that he has on that end of the floor, uh, I think you can't take that for granted and how that changes this team. I think that's why that's the biggest priority moving forward to get him back. You got Josiah back. That's great. Now do the second part of that, get Julian back and this team can get back to playing the defense that, that we've kind of become accustomed to seeing them consistently. Obviously they shut down Alabama, uh, without Julian, without Josiah. So they're capable of doing it shorthanded. But uh, I think you can't discredit those two guys at all and what they mean for this defense. Do you think Julian's back Tuesday? How close do you think he is to being back? I think he wants to come back. I think people automatically assume you're a five-star freshman this late in the year. You, you, you're injured and you're sitting out. Are, are these guys shutting it down and, and preparing for the NBA? I don't think that's the case for Julian. I was told Wednesday uh, by an assistant coach that Julian told them after A&M that he wanted to play against South Carolina. Now, could that be uh, a lie from the coach? Maybe could it be a lie from the player? Maybe whatever. Maybe there's some truth in somewhere in the middle. Or maybe they just thought a team that they beat by 40 on the road, you should beat by 40 at home and you should be fine without Joan Phillips. And they're just being uh, extra cautious moving into the final week of the season and in the games that matter in March. So I think he's going to come back. I don't know if it's Tuesday night against Arkansas. It would be huge if, it, if that is the case because they need him. And Arkansas is a really good team, really talented offensive team. Uh, so you need him on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but I do think he's going to come back sooner than later because I think he wants to play. I think he's still a big part of this team. Grant, I look at uh, the box score, and I was talking you know, earlier today, You know, Tennessee had, you know, what was it, five, six players in double figures. That's not going to happen every single game. Tennessee's got the number one defense in the country. That's great, but you're not going to hold an opponent to under 50 points every single game, right? Um, Santiago Vespi scored only seven points. He was 3-12 from the field. Tennessee was able to overcome that because others stepped up, and, of course, you play that defense. I feel like Tennessee can overcome a lot, but when Zakai Ziegler, and I know this is 2 plus 2 equals 4, but when Zakai Ziegler is good, Tennessee is good. When Zakai Ziegler is bad, missing shots, turning the basketball over, fouling out, I feel like Tennessee is almost not good enough to overcome that. Um, is there some truth into that, or, or is, is Tennessee versatile enough to overcome that? Because if so, we haven't seen it a lot this year. I mean, Zakai was fantastic the other night. Another double-double points to assist. I think that's the fifth one this season. If Zakai is not playing well, it is extremely difficult for this team to overcome it. I think they can overcome it depending on who they're playing and, and what's going on that night, but it's extremely, extremely difficult because I think he's the guy that really makes them go, when he hits a couple early shots, what it does for this team, what it does for him, uh, completely changes things. And he doesn't have to score 20 and he's not going to have 11 assists every night and all that stuff, double-doubles. It's great when that does happen. But if he's just productive early and, and has some good offensive plays early and, and, and facilitates drives and, and, and dumps off to a big man for a dunk or, or lobs for a dunk or, or just kicks out to somebody that's open and hits a three or Zakai hits a three himself, I think if he produces early, it seems to change this team um, from the start. And, and it's they can overcome it. Uh, but the degree of difficulty is extremely, extremely hard. And in March, obviously, guards are magnified in the NCAA tournament. Everybody always talks about you're as good as your guards are in the NCAA tournament. They're going to need him, especially if Santi's I – don't, I don't know if Santi's himself. I don't think he's looked like himself a ton this year. I don't know if the shoulder's bothering him. But his shooting percentages are down compared to what he's done in the past. I mean, he made 100 threes last year. Uh, so we've seen him shoot it way better than he has. But – that's what they need from Zakai is, is somebody who sets the tone early because I think this team reflects for the majority of games what Zakai can do. Grant, one last thing about the South Carolina game. Strange ball game from the standpoint of neither team got the bonus. Um, didn't have a whole lot of stoppages. A really, really odd game. Have you ever seen that? Why did – I mean, were there just teams not playing that physical or, or were officials letting it go? What I mean – to me, that's an astounding stat that, that nobody gets in the bonus in, in a 40-minute basketball game. No, I've got a friend who officiates, and I was talking to him this morning, like, can you believe just 14 total fouls? And his comment was basically, well, there really wasn't anything to call. Like, it wasn't – it was just a kind of smoothly, kind of quietly played basketball game. And I don't know if y'all can hear that knock on wood. I hope it happens every night because that's an hour, 45-minute basketball game after Texas A&M went two and a half hours. Uh, the other night uh, in College Station. So I, I think it was just a matter of there wasn't a ton of fouls calls. I don't think it was crazy physical. I don't think it was crazy soft. I think it was just a, I don't know, a, a basketball game played by two teams where there weren't a, where there weren't a ton of fouls and, and the officials weren't blowing their whistles just to blow. Because if, if they can, if we can get more 14 foul games combined between two teams, I'm all for it. 
Yeah, and they didn't go to the monitor for seven straight possessions no, in the no. final two minutes of the game. Of course, it was a 40-point game, so they had no reason to go to the monitor. <laughs> but, but sometimes those those monitors, everybody hates the late-game stoppages except the guys that are trying to write game stories uh, at the horn. And uh, we, need that, we need that pause every 30 seconds or so so we can reset and, and actually know what we're publishing before we hit the button. <laughs> I know that feeling. There's been so many different replay reviews at Lindsey Nelson Stadium here in the early part of the season. So that late in games and, of course, pitching changes allows for us to, yep. to get those gamers ready. Hey, Grant, out the door real quick. Arkansas, a good opponent, and then on the road at uh, uh, Auburn to end the season. Uh, what must Tennessee do to, to try to come out, you know, split it one and one or maybe take 2-0 and and head in, head in with some confidence into uh, the uh, SEC tournament? Uh, go back with Arkansas to just what we we're talking about with Zakai. They need a quick start. They need a good start. You're going to have to score some points because Arkansas is talented offensively. They're going to put points on the board regardless of how good your defense is. It's going to be hard to shut them down, hold them under 50 or 60 or whatever it is, or whatever number you need. So uh, they're going to have to score early, see some shots go in, um, kind of get back to what they're doing against South Carolina and just running an effective offense, an efficient offense, and, and not turning it over. I, don't, I think they had four turnovers or something against South Carolina. So you need a repeat performance of that. And then you go to Auburn, a place that's been really tough for them to win. I think Rick won maybe his first or second trip down there uh, early in the Rick Barnes area at Tennessee. I don't know if they've won since then. But 18-0 run where Tennessee was up 18 and suddenly the game was tied uh, always sticks out in my head. But this Auburn team is different. Obviously, they just got run out of Rupp Arena on Saturday. They have to go to Alabama uh, Wednesday night before hosting Tennessee on Saturday. So I don't know who gave Auburn the uh, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee to end the regular season. Uh, that's br- that's rough, but I mean, if Tennessee can go two and zero this week, uh, it completely changes the outlook of this team. And they don't have to go two and zero. Obviously, they're fine if they don't go two and zero. But you're trying to solidify that top four seed, get that double buy in the SEC tournament uh, in Nashville uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, a lot of teams playing for a lot of stuff this week. That Tennessee's playing. Arkansas's playing for some seeding. Tennessee's playing for seeding. Auburn may be playing for their ticket. Um, a lot of pressure-packed basketball this week for, for Tennessee uh, with these teams that they're taking on. And Tennessee's got a lot to play for. Should, should be This is what the league wanted, right? They wanted a big week right. they, to, to finish it out. And, and they're going to get some really intriguing matchup and some really intriguing games for some teams on the bubble and teams playing for quite a bit, double buys, seeding, and all those things. Only thing the league doesn't want is uh, first place Alabama with all the drama uh, around it uh, in recent weeks. But I mean, outside of Alabama, it feels like I think Alabama's clinched at least a share of the regular season title. Uh, so outside of that, yeah, it's, it's a jumbled mess, uh, kind of four through eight, nine, whatever the number is. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to play for this week. It's, it's going to be a fun week of basketball because those top four spots, if you're trying to do something in the SEC tournament, you really need one of those double buys. And for everything Tennessee basketball related, you can check it at VolQuest.com. Grant Ramey, Rob Lewis do an awesome job. Grant, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. 9 p.m. tip on Tuesday. Y'all add me to the prayer list. (laughs) (laughs) You and Rick. Coach Barnes loves the 9 p.m. starts. Those are his favorite. I'll be taping my eyelids open. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it, Grant. Thanks, dude. See you, bud. See you, boys. All right, so we're talking Tennessee basketball now, but we did bring up a little bit of Tennessee baseball, a lot of things going on with that program right now. Brent and I are going to have a – a conversation about what we know and, and just kind of kind of talk it out a little bit with Tony Vitello, Maui Ahuna, all that and more. We'll do our best to take your questions. That's coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, it's 8.34 Eastern Time. We're at it here for another 26 minutes on the Rocky Top Rewind VolQuest YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe as you watch the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubbs. All right, so Tennessee baseball, 8-2 and two on the season, coming off a 5-0 and o week, coming back home to Lindsey Nelson Stadium, opening up the home slates, uh, got after Alabama A&M and then swept Day- uh, Dayton this past weekend. Uh, eight games into the season, 
Maui Ahuna transfer shortstop MLB prospect has still not made his Tennessee debut. And then Brent on Friday night leading up to first pitch. There's no Tony Vitello. They do the announcements. Tony Vitello is not mentioned. And then a statement comes out from Tennessee. Um, and I understand everybody is is wanting answers now and has a conspiracy theory or, or, or wanting to know things now. That That's fair. But right now at this point in time, Brent, what do we know about the situation with Tony Vitello, his suspension? There should be an update sometime tomorrow afternoon from the university. Uh, what do we know about Tony Vitello? Well, what we know is that he didn't work this weekend and, and that he did some things, uh, you know, that according to the statement released by Tennessee, that, that uh, he didn't make the, he didn't make the wisest choices in, in handling some things and, and has owned up to the mistake that, that he made and, and that situation uh, and dealing with Maui and um, what that means, what that ultimately means. I don't think anybody knows right now. And, and that's not, that's not saying Oh, you know, the sky's falling. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, you know, but, but until a case is closed, nothing feel, nothing's minor with the NCAA until a case is wrapped up. Right. Because there've been minor things that have turned into major things. There have been perceived major things that turned out to be nothing and minor things, but you didn't know until you knew and you don't know mm -hmm. until it's over. And I know that sounds stupid and cliched and cheesy and all those things, but that's the truth. And, and my conversation with some people um, on Friday, the feeling was that Tony Vitello, this was going to be a short-lived deal, three to five games, felt like he'd be back next weekend. Um, but until somebody says that that it's over, you, you don't know for sure because you never know if, if somebody's still inquiring and still looking, then something else could come up or could not come up. And, and so I think that's why you have to be careful in characterizing it as characterizing things as anything right now. Um, so we'll see. I mean, again, on Friday, it felt like it wasn't a whole lot. Now there's going to be, you know, further discussion about it on, on Monday. We'll see what the statement says on Monday and where they're, where they're at with it Monday. We'll see where Tony Vitello is uh, with, with everything, you know, and, and, and what comes out um, moving forward. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't, I don't have a timeline. Um, I'm like everybody else. I'm anxious to see what is said on Monday. And, and until somebody says they're done, you know, case closed, then you're always, you always keep a little, little bit of skepticism with you, Eric, until you know, everything's buttoned up and tight. Because as I said, these things have gone a, a million different ways, right? Yeah. I mean, whether it's a guy getting immediate eligibility, right? Brew McCoy was going to be no big deal, right? Took a sheet of paper, looking for a signature. They got that signature, what, late August? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you look at the Cade Mays situation, you know? That that seemed like a pretty good, pretty easy lay down. Then, then Cade misses, you know, the season opener at South Carolina COVID year because they didn't get things done. Um, now, those are not investigations. Those are different. Those were trying to win appeals for – you know, for they, so you just don't know. Um, and I know, and I get where Tennessee fans come from because it feels like there's always one of these, right? There's, there's, there's Gerald Williams in football who make it, not going to make it, make it, not going to make it. Leonard Little got pulled off the practice field by the NCAA. This guy didn't get cleared till two games in or whatever the case may be. So, um, I, I get all of that. And, and so I'm not trying to create anybody's panic, but because of what all we, we've seen and dealt with, for, or I've dealt with for nearly three decades now. You just you, you want to hear the word closure and that case is closed before you characterize anything as anything at this point. Yeah, and you know a lot of fans are wanting you know, they're they're asking questions and rightfully so on the boards and you know why is this all of a sudden a thing? How long has this been going on? Was there a chance that Maui wasn't going to play the opener? Was there a chance Tony was going to be suspended for the beginning of the season? Uh, and those are fair questions. But kind of going back to what you just said a moment ago, a couple of minutes ago, uh, I mean, hey, there's been conversations going on for quite a while now, right? But but there was never anything until there was. You know, it, it looked like the Maui situation was going to be okay. I mean, he went to Arizona. 27 members of his family flew from Hawaii to Arizona to watch him play. Now, do, do you think they would have done that if they knew that there was a 50-50 chance that he wasn't going to play? I don't think so. That's just my opinion. 
Um, but it turns out, as Tony said, about 24 hours prior to first pitch when the team was already in Arizona, that's when he realized that Maui was not going to you know, be eligible to play right away. Um, and the same thing for Tony. I mean, you know, there, there were some conversations. There was all that going on, but nothing, nothing came of it uh, until Friday when he was at the ballpark. And anytime you have the NCAA inquiring and asking questions, again, until you hear the, the closure, this case is closed, you never want to be too firm on one side or the other because, again, you're looking for this one thing. Oh, no, what's that over here? What's that over here? It's just not a good situation to be in. Um, I yeah, will but, say this, and you know, as of right now, I feel like, and things can always change, as far as Maui, I feel like uh, Maui's going to be out there and playing soon. I don't know if that's Tuesday. I don't know if that's Saturday. I think Maui's going to be out there playing soon. I just that that's what I feel like. As far as Tony, you know, we'll see what happens tomorrow with the university. I think it's going to be sometime in the afternoon when they come out with a statement. Uh, maybe there'll be some Maui Ahuna news before then. We'll see. That's I think that's what Tennessee hopes. But right now, it's just kind of a it's a holding pattern. Um, luckily, Brent, this holding pattern is taking place when you're playing Dayton and Alabama A and M and and you know Charleston Southern and not LSU and Vanderbilt in Florida because you know whatever happens you you want to make do right now with Austin Jazz love at shortstop and he's he's been doing a great job but you want Maui back in there for the real thing and of course you want Tony back as well yeah no no doubt about it and I think you said it best I mean this there have been discussions this is this didn't come up this just didn't come up on Thursday before Tennessee opened the season Tennessee felt like it was going to be resolved right I mean there's or they felt like they were going to be able to pick whatever games if they were going to have to, you know, miss games or, or whatever, um, you know, all of that aside, I mean, there's been, there's been some talk and some whispers and some rumblings about things. And, and, and I know, um, I know a lot of people are speculating on some things, what happened, um, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the, the bottom line is this deals with, with Tennessee's involvement, when their involvement occurred with with Tony and, and, and Tennessee dealing with Maui. That's that's the crux of it. Does something else develop out of inquiries about all that? I don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't I, right now. But but that's the crux of where this is. What exactly that entails, I don't know. You know, that's what the NCAA has been looking into and trying to find out. And, and we'll see, you know, where it goes you know, where it goes from there and what happens. And again, on Friday, the feeling was that this thing was going to get resolved pretty quickly on all fronts. Will that be the case this week? Or is there something else there that, that nobody's quite sure about that that's, you know, that's being further looked into? We'll just have to wait and see. Be curious to see what the NCAA says, um, when, you know, what Tennessee says when they announce something to the media on Monday afternoon, assuming that they're still going to do that. If they don't have a lot of news, I don't know what else they're going to say. Yeah. They're not going to divulge all the details of what's being inquired about. Okay, they're not going to they're not going to have a press conference where they answer a bunch of questions about all the specific stuff there. So, if there's not any new news, are they going to say there's no new news at this point or are they just going to wait until game day and see where that's at? We'll see what that looks like tomorrow afternoon. If there's no news, I don't know if they're announcing anything. We'll see. We've gathered you all here today to let you know nothing has changed. That would be the, <laughs> that would be the worst. Um, real quick, this is what the university put out Friday around first pitch for for the for the Dayton series. Uh, quote: The university and Coach Vitello working collaboratively with the NCAA to address a violation in the program. Coach Vitello will be suspended for this weekend series with Josh Eglander serving as acting head coach, and we will provide an update on Monday. Coach Vitello has acknowledged his mistake and accepted full responsibility. We appreciate his cooperation in the process and his dedication to do right by the student-athletes and the Tennessee baseball program. NCAA bylaws prohibit additional comments or details, and that's what you were saying right there. They're not going to go into all that. Uh, the university will continue to emphasize to all staff the uh, imperative of leading with honesty and integrity. Uh, a follow-up again from myself with Tennessee about you know, who suspended who with Tony Vitello. It was, an, quote, an institutional measure by UT Athletics in collaboration with Tony Vitello, meaning Tony in Tennessee said, hey, let me sit out this one. Let's see if it helps. So um, we'll see what happens. And uh, hopefully the Tennessee baseball team will get some good news, uh, maybe some great news tomorrow. Maybe the holding pattern will continue. But 
Uh, we don't know until that gets here, and hopefully that'll come tomorrow afternoon. All right, we got about 15 minutes left here. The Rocky Top Rewind. Matt Ray was down at the Under Armour Camp Series in Atlanta, Georgia earlier today. He's going to join us next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. We got about 15 minutes left here on the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That man is Brent Hubbs. Now we welcome on our good buddy Matt Ray. Did a really nice job earlier today down at the uh, Under Armour Camp Series in Atlanta, Georgia. A lot of Tennessee prospects, a lot of Tennessee hopefuls uh, down there in action today. Matt, kind of walk us through what you saw in, in terms of Tennessee targets. Kind of how were those guys looking? Yeah, as a, you know, first it was good to just be back in the in a camp setting. You know, football's starting to turn the corner as we get closer to March here. But overall, um, you know, some no-shows from the original roster, but still plenty of, of talented guys out at the Under Armour Camp Series. And uh, Carrollton, it lists as Atlanta, but I'm not I'm not classifying that as Atlanta. Um, <laughs> it sure didn't feel like it when I was driving it anyways. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, started started with Mike Matthews, who was the headliner for Tennessee. I think that was the guy that everybody had their eyes on. And no real secret as to what he was going to do on the field. And he came out and lived up to the hop. I, I didn't see him lose an individual rep. He ran as well as anybody all day long. But everybody wanted to know about the recruiting process for him. And and he got, you know, to answer a lot of those questions today without giving away too much. Um, but it certainly feels like Tennessee's established themselves as a player there for Mike Matthews using, you know, some unique approaches. The whole staff, um, you know, consistently reaching out to him. You know, trying to make sure that he knows that he's a priority, talking basketball with him versus just football all the time. So those things catching his attention. He's planning to be back at Tennessee later in the spring. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball as well, Daniel Calhoun was a guy that had a lot of eyes on him. Uh, Jordan Ross, um, the edge from Alabama, Vestavia Hills, had a lot of eyes on him as he – is getting ready for a big slate of spring visits. Jordan Burns, a linebacker target that Tennessee had up in January for the first junior day, a guy that I thought had a really good day out there. He looked sharp in one-on-one drills against some really talented running backs. And then um, Cameron Fountain, a, a guy that Tennessee and others have continued to recruit harder here coming out of his junior season, had a good day working as an edge. You can see the athleticism and the quick twitch that he brings and, and the motor and, and then the frame to go along with it. He's just – you can tell he's raw in certain aspects, but the frame is there, and he, he's a guy that looks like his ceiling is immensely high and is continuing to see his stock soar. So good days for all of those guys, I felt like. You know, Calhoun's an interesting prospect to me, Matt, because everybody's looking for offensive tackles. We, we've already seen a couple of offensive tackles come off the board which means he's Calhoun's becoming a bigger and bigger priority for a lot of teams out there. What do you think that looks like in terms of the the, the legitimate cluster of schools that, that are going to be in the hunt for um, Daniel Calhoun to the finish line? Yeah, you know, bro, we kind of talked about it for a little bit, and I still think that's where it stands today. I think it's I think it's Alabama and Georgia out front, and I'm not sure that there's any separation between those two right now. I think he's visited those schools a lot comfortable with what they both do and, and what they both have to offer him as a player. And then I think it's Tennessee running at third. Um, you know, there's there's some other schools clustered in there that are going to try to make their pitches. He's going to take some official visits. He's going to see some places in the spring. Florida's one that he's really intrigued to see. But Tennessee right now looks like they're going to get him back up in March. That's the plan. Uh, the family likes what they've seen at Tennessee, and, and that's something that I think is going to help Tennessee have some footing in this recruitment until the end. And then the June, you know, official visit will be big for Daniel Calhoun, but he, he's been pretty open with me throughout the process and was again today that he's keeping that fifth and final official visit in his back pocket for the season just in case he doesn't make a decision or there's another school that creeps in that, that can pique his interest. So we'll see where he goes. I still lean toward him getting this decision done before the start of his senior season, but he did just transfer from Centennial to Walton. So he'll go through a different process in the spring, a new school, new type of offense. So he'll have all that stuff to weigh out as well as his recruitment. So Daniel Calhoun's still an interesting guy to watch for me. 
Hey, Matt, before we get into more some uh, individual prospects in, in terms of Tennessee and uh, legitimacy, legitimacy there, I can't say that word. Um, for, for those of us who, you know, might follow recruiting or maybe keep one on recruiting and, and, you know, the rest on the team stuff, kind of how big of a deal is a day like today, these camp series to where oftentimes you have to be invited and you're going against the best of the best kind of how big are days like this for prospects, um, you know, moving forward in, in terms of the recruitments over for this 2024 class here in the last phase of recruitment, but for some of these younger guys, it can really help bolster them up the rankings moving forward. Today, I mean, when you when you listen to the folks at Under Armour talk today, they wanted to kick their camp series off in Atlanta for the first time because the camp is usually so loaded. It was the first time they've had the opportunity to do that with a camp series, and they felt like it lived up to that hype today. It was kind of one of those things that built as the elite of the elite, and across the board today, that's what you had the opportunity to see. Now, there were guys 20, 25, 26, and you know, even saw a 27 quarterback today, um, but, you know, it's big for them, I think, moving into the spring. It's a measuring stick for some guys. Some of these guys come from out of state. They, they maybe haven't camped before or had the opportunity to do that. So what's that like for them? You know, and, so, and some, you know, late risers, you know, guys like Cameron Fountain, I would say, or, or a Jesse Perry, an offensive tackle from Middle Tennessee Christian, you haven't had a chance to to do these, you know, individual drills that they, they go through and then, when you get out and make camp this summer, you know, at a college, I think it takes you a long ways in that aspect. But today's a big day, you know, I think just because of the magnitude of the amount of prospects that were there, the opportunity to go through the interview type gauntlet, kind of, you know, set your course for where you want to go going into the spring as things start to open back up. I'd say today's a pretty big day. What, what do you make of Perry? You know, the, the, the middle Tennessee kid who's, who's just kind of popped up out of nowhere here in terms of get, getting offers. And sounds like a lot of people feel like he's going to get a lot more offers moving forward. Eyeballing him today. What, what did you what did you make of him? Yeah, eyeballing him today. You can you can see the frame. I mean, it pops immediately, he carries this weight very well. Um, you know, as, as he came through. He's a slimmer guy, you know, for what you would think for an offensive tackle body, but he's a legitimate 6'6", 275, and it's all muscle. It's all trim, so he's got room to, to add to that frame. He's got plenty of length, and then when we had a chance to see him move and run, he, he ran well, you know, in the camp setting, struggled a couple of times, you know, in his past pro set, but one of the things I talked to him about after was, you know, the fact that he doesn't do this a lot. You know, he plays in, in single-A private ball, and – in middle Tennessee and they run the ball 85, 90% of the time. So he, he's never been through, he's never been through that a whole lot. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting with him because he is maybe more of that developmental guy, but the, the IQ from him, the ability to try to self-correct and want to self-correct on those things is something that I think could take him a long way. And, and that was one of the things he talked about. He knew Every rep that he struggled with, he knew exactly what he did wrong, how he planned to fix it, and how he was going to carry that back with him. So I thought that was pretty impressive. He's a guy that I would be pretty surprised coming out of the spring if he doesn't add some more offers. Hey, Matt, sorry if you touched on this earlier, but Austin uh, wants to know about Cam Davis, FSU. Uh, commit is the interest real there. And then and then after you get done with that one, a, a guy you had a chance to catch up with, uh, earlier today, 2024 quarterback and Jake Merklinger, a guy that Tennessee is very much interested in. What did uh, he have to say about the Vols before his day at uh, the Under Armour? Yeah, so, you know, Cam Davis is a guy that has, has been wanting to make it to campus at Tennessee for, for some time now. It just hasn't happened. Um, you know, it, it is an official visit. What's going to be the, something that finally allows it to happen? Maybe he talked about an official visit. He talked about an unofficial visit. He talked about seeing multiple other schools, but so far he's, you know, stayed committed to, to Florida State for the long haul here. And I think it's going to take something to shake that up, but we'll see. We'll see what comes about. He wanted to visit Colorado. He mentioned, you know, possibly getting to Georgia, possibly getting to Tennessee and those schools possibly getting official visits at some time. So it doesn't sound like Cam Davis is all the way done with his process, but He's just one of those guys you have to see get to campus. I, I think when, when you talk to him, he speaks highly of Jerry Mack, and he wants to see more of Tennessee, but he, he's got to come do it for the interest to be legit for me. And then the second question was on Merklinger. Yeah. yeah Jake Merklinger, you know, I think overall for him, the next 
45 days are going to be huge. He, he's going to see Michigan State, North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee in the month of March and, and didn't rule out an April decision. Um, you know, if, if it goes to May, it goes to May. But he's a multi-sport guy. He just wrapped up – he just wrapped up basketball. He's playing lacrosse. He's camping at, at Under Armour. He's going to, you know, maybe throw some seven-on-seven. Seven. He's going to see these visits. And then he's going to try to make a decision. So, I mean, one thing that he talked to me about was that he may not use his official visits before the decision. Um, but Tennessee, Tennessee very much in the mix, it feels like, with Jake Merklinger. He's connected well with Joey Halsley, has a belief in, in Josh Heupel's system. And, and one of the things I want to, you know, kind of talk to him about was how he's going to go through the decision-making process because he's got a unique process. Georgia's entered the mix for him, but at the end of the day, they have a quarterback already committed. So is he interested in being part of a two-quarterback class? At, at Tennessee, you know, is he interested in in going to Tennessee if it means sitting behind Nico for a year or so? And he he was very open. He said, you know, he's heard those comments and and those you know are not something that affect his recruitment or impacts his recruitment. He's looking at what's best for him and he's going into this month of March pretty open. It's pretty fascinating. I mean, because to, 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 the two schools that would make from a geography standpoint. <laughs> from where they are, no offense to Michigan State and North Carolina, Tennessee and Georgia would be the perceived better programs and, and better places to go. But their but their quarterback situation is, is much more cloudy than, than, than what you look at at North Carolina or what you look at at Michigan State. So um, that, that, that one will be interesting to see. Good athlete, uh, obviously playing multiple sports. Matt, I, I think that one's going to be a fascinating 45 days and hard to get a feel on if it's a guy who's – maybe not going to make a ton of visits or not going to make a lot of splash about his visits before he makes a decision. Yeah, I agree, Brent. And, and one other thing with, with him is he has a brother that, you know, plays at Northern Illinois. So they're not, they're not afraid to leave the South, but I'm like you from a geo, from a geographical, geographical standpoint, I, it feels like, you know, those other two schools make, you know, more sense. It felt like Florida made more sense at one point. And he had named the Gators their his leader, and then you know DJ Lagway committed a day later. So it's been a unique process for Jake Merklinger. I'm really interested to see where it goes because he's not a guy that's going to make a lot of splash on these visits or, or tip his hand or say you know one way or the other this is what's going on. I think it's going to be come back home to Savannah, sit down with his family, and and try to check some stuff off that you know just makes it feel right for him. Matt, Matt, I would imagine you've got plenty of uh, – go ahead, Brent. No, but I was going to say, final question here before we get out the door. Big picture thing for me, Matt. What perception of Tennessee at this camp compared to maybe the perception at Tennessee a year ago or, or, at, or at, you know, even camps six months, eight months ago, back, back last summer? What, what's the – kind of what did you perceive the perception of Tennessee being now compared to before last season? Yeah, there's definitely a different vibe around Tennessee, you know, this time around. It feels like they they have some interest of guys. They have some established relationships with guys that they've been recruiting for a while. Uh, what they did on the field was was one thing that just continued to, to translate, especially on the offensive side of the football. But then the guys you talk to on the defensive side of the football, that they, they, you know, have been around Tennessee enough and, and been recruited by Tennessee enough that they see big picture they see that that may be the missing piece of the puzzle, you know, that gets Tennessee to the next level. So there's just it, – it felt like there was a lot more intrigue with Tennessee right now compared to this time last year. Matt, I would imagine you've got plenty of content from the Under Armour All-American uh, camp down there in the Atlanta area uh, coming up on the website, uh, talking to plenty of 24s, probably some 25s, and you'll have that all at VolQuest.com in the coming weeks. Absolutely, yeah. Not as much as we wanted. There were, and you never want to no show if you want to see them. But uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty coming up. Sounds good, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Matt Ray doing an awesome job covering recruiting, and uh, you know, down there in Atlanta today, and looking at a bunch of Tennessee targets. Already a couple stories up at BallQuest.com. Go ahead and check them out. Give give him a, a read through, and he'll have something up there uh, in the coming days as well, uh, completing that coverage down there. Uh, Brent, another Rocky Top Rewind is now in the rearview mirror. A big week coming up, a couple basketball games, Tennessee baseball, hopefully getting some news that you would want it to be, but also return to the field. And 
Uh, winter workouts continue with spring practice just a couple of weeks away. Yeah, so, no doubt. Lots going on on the hillside. Uh, we got baseball. We'll see what happens, as you mentioned, with that. Uh, and then you've got um, basketball, big week for basketball. We'll see if this Tennessee basketball team uh, can show up with any kind of consistency. We'll see how they show up Tuesday night at 9 o'clock against Arkansas. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and watching. Checking us out here on the Rockies Eye Rewind. Please like this video. Give it a thumbs up. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. One year VolQuest.com subscription, $29.99. Take advantage of it today. And don't forget to tune back in next Sunday night, 8 o'clock, for another Rocky Top Rewind. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.